0: Welcome to Bridgewater Church. My name is Kurt. I'm one of the pastors here. And I tell you what, God is doing some great things. I know sometimes I run into people sometimes and they don't, don't believe, and maybe that's, maybe that's you this morning, but just stay. Just stay and watch, and God will do great, great things. And it's not about Bridgewater. It's about Jesus, because Jesus is all about changing lives, and it's just, just awesome to see that. I love Baptism Sunday and uh so excited so we've been going through this series on a uh, starting point talking about what is the starting point of your faith and walking through different different parts of that and this morning we're going to be talking about the role of rules what is the role of rules in your life do you currently obsess over doing the right thing be- becoming self-critical maybe you become angry with others when they point out your shortcomings. What's the role of rules according to God? One time I asked a young man, what does it mean to be a Christian? And his response was, don't do drugs. <laughs> and I'm like, really? I mean, that's true, don't do drugs. But the, the, the idea was that this, this individual had grown up in the church and they just made Christianity about a list of do's and don'ts and didn't really truly understand what it was about. Now I personally like rules. Uh, I like to know where the boundaries are, where not to cross the line, that sort of thing. And I, I grew up in the church. I came to know Jesus as my forgiver and leader when I was five years old. I enjoyed going to church and then I got sort of into junior high, senior high, you know, sort of area. And then I became fond of having big beer party bashes at my house. And so I would have those and I would get drunk and all that sort of stuff. And, and, uh, and, and I became known for that at the school I, I attended. But I knew what the Bible said not to get drunk. And but yet I did it anyways. And getting drunk was my only purpose for drinking. In fact, I hate the taste of alcohol. I hated it then, and I, and I hate it now. So, um, but it, there was only one purpose that I used to drink, and that was to get drunk. And even though I knew Jesus and I understood salvation, I was not aware it was about more than just doing the right thing. It was about your relationship with God. I soon found out that my pursuit of the party lifestyle was not ultimately satisfying. The one night my friend and I attended a Saturday night service at a different church than we regularly attended. And that night we decided to give our lives fully over to Jesus. And that decision that I made that night was out of, out of the love that Jesus had for me and that he desires a close relationship with me. On one hand I had my desire for acceptance from my friends who were drinking and on the other hand and, of course, that didn't lead to good things. It led to poor decisions on my part. Um, but it didn't please God. It was that connection with Jesus that brought me back. Not being made feel, to feel guilty for these list of rules. It was about that Jesus loves me, and he desires a relationship with him, and I want to please him. Therefore, I want to do what's right. For you, you may have a starting point, that have began at a young age. You have a story. The way that you think, the way that you process your faith over the years has developed to what it is today. If your life is dominated by rules, your own, your parents, even God's, it has shaped you. Perhaps even to the point to becoming a perfectionist. Or maybe contributing to the development of an anxiety disorder. But let's take a fresh look at rules from God's perspective. First, rules always assume a relationship. Rules always assume a relationship. Think about it. No matter what we're talking about, whether in the workplace or at home or school or on the road, there are rules, right? Every situation, the rules are there because there's some sort of relationship. And here's the thing. There's a couple different models that we'll talk about that we, that we uh, borrowed from some, another communicator. And these models are called the family model and the club model. And first, we're going to talk about the family model. Now, um, I'll show my family there. There's, we were up in, uh, in Boston eating Boston cream donuts, right? There's nothing better than that, right? Um, So the family model goes like this. My wife and I started having kids about 18 years ago. Elijah was born, and he started to grow, and we started to make rules. We added one more kid. Our kids at different stages, we added and adjusted the rules. But there are two things about this model that are really important to understand. Our kids were born into the family, and then we gave them the rules. We didn't make the rules and say, if you keep the rules... You can be part of this family. No, it was the other way around. Our rules are only for our kids. I don't make the rules for other people's kids, although sometimes I may want to. But when I think of the rules in my household as, as my kids were growing up, they've changed over the years as far as, becoming, uh, as far as becoming flexible. But I remember Elijah, my older son, who's now in college, I remember he would often challenge the rules, right? He would challenge it and be like, not in a defiant way, but it in a questioning way. So I always needed to be prepared if I was to make a rule because he was gonna question, you know, well, why do we do that? Well, what's that about? Was that biblical? Like, I mean, it was, it, it was not in a defiant way, like I said, but in, in an inquisitive way, um, he would ask the questions about rules. And then, um, and then um, there, was, there was my son, Zeke, and uh he's 15 and he pretty much likes rules i think it it, it's sort of a comfort to him not that he doesn't get out of hand sometimes you know but um but he's sort of comforted by the rules and in fact when he would always get upset in school and he'd be like dad like why do kids misbehave in school he would be so stressed out he's like why can't they just follow the rules and uh and so that was that was uh, the differences uh, as far as m- how my kids responded to rules. You couldn't understand why kids just, why don't they just behave? Um, but the, the idea with the family model is that you get into the family and then you get the rules. The rules are there to help the family but not to get into the family. All right? So then the next one is the club model. This one we think of, it's a little bit different. This one is more like The country club or the sorority or the fraternity or whatever, like that one, you have requirements to get in. You have certain things that you need to do to get in. And then once you're in, then you better do the things that you're supposed to do, right? If you're on the golf course, they have like a dress code. You're supposed to wear these things. You can't wear maybe spikes or something like that. Um, uh, I don't know. I don't golf, but, um, they might have all these rules, and if you don't go according to these rules, then you may not be allowed to play there. You may not be allowed to be in the club, and that's the idea. The club model is you keep the rules, and you can, you can get in. The family model is you get in, and then you get the rules. So, so this, here's the question, because this makes this confusing. If you transpose these ideas into religion and faith, you can see that it might be confusing. Which model is it? Is it the family model? Is it the club model? Is it you have to keep the rules to get in? Like your behavior. Is it that you get in and then you're given the rules? In order to see what God's take is on all this, we're gonna start with the most famous of rules, and that is the Ten Commandments. And uh, perhaps you can name all 10, maybe you can name two or three, or four or five, perhaps. I've asked people to say all ten to me after the service, and nobody's done it yet, so this could be the service that somebody does that. I don't know, but you're welcome to come up to me afterwards and and see if you can say all ten. You'll be able to cheat because you could look at the Bible, you know. Um, So the Ten Commandments are in Exodus 20, and we're going to go there here in a minute. But before I show you Exodus 20 um, that leads up to this, I'm going to begin by talking about Abraham. We talked about Abraham last week. And remember, each week builds on one another. So if you miss a week, I encourage you to go back and to listen. You can do so at our Tunkhannic, uh podcast. So you could, you could just Google Tuncanic pod bean, uh, uh, and then you click on it and you can find it that way and listen. Um, so starting back at Abraham. Abraham was promised that he was going to be a great nation. Great nations were going to come after him. But the problem was Abraham and his wife Sarah, they were really old, all right? So they were really old. And so they decided, well, we're going to have a a child through Sarah's servant, Hagar. So Hagar gave birth to a son and named him Ishmael. Shortly after that, God's promise came about through Sarah, and she gave birth to a son named Isaac. Isaac then had a son named Jacob, and Jacob had 12 sons, which became the nation of Israel. Now. Out of Ishmael and his line, we have established all of what's now the Arab nations. And out of Jacob and his 12 sons, we have established the nation of Israel. And the time that we're talking about here, they are in the land of Egypt. All right, and they kept multiplying and multiplying where there was millions of Israelites in Egypt. And so the guy that's in charge, Pharaoh, he he gets all intimidated and he says, they're getting too big. And they're going to take me over if I don't do something. So he decides to make all the Israelites, the millions of people, slaves. And for 400 years, they lived in slavery in Egypt. And throughout that time, that promise was still there from God that said, trust me. I mean, imagine how that might be for them. You know, they're, they're, they're studying in their time. Maybe it's been 200 years have passed, and they're studying. And there's a promise. There's a promise that's coming. God says that this is going to happen. Therefore, trust him. It's going to happen. And then, one day it did. So, Moses, so God called this man named Moses. And he, Moses went to Pharaoh, and he said, let my people go, referring to the Israelites. And Pharaoh said, uh, no, that's not happening. So he wouldn't let his people go. And then all of these plagues, God sends all these plagues on Egypt. I mean, we're talking like crickets, locusts, frogs all over the place. We're talking about water turning to blood. It was really a big mess. And yet Pharaoh still said, Nope, I'm not letting your people go. And then finally, God sent the angel of the Lord and he told the Israelites, Trust me, sacrifice a lamb and put the blood of the lamb on the doorposts and above the doorposts, And the angel of the Lord will pass over your house and will not take the firstborn son in the house. Those that trusted him did that, and the angel of the Lord passed over that house. Pharaoh, of course, did not do that, and he lost his firstborn son, and he said, fine, go. And he let the Israelites go. And then that's where we're talking about in Exodus 20. About three weeks after that happened, um, Moses had the Israelites at the base of Mount Sinai, which is where God delivered the Ten Commandments. So we're going to take a look at Exodus 20 and verses 1 and 2. Then God gave the people all the instructions. I am the Lord your God who rescued you from the land of Egypt, the place of your slavery. Okay, so let's get this straight. Clearly, you are God. You just flipped nature upside down. You rescued us. You even split the sea so that the Israelites could walk through on dry ground and so much more so we get it you are God yep God says but before we talk about the rules I want to be clear I am your God and you are my people I am your God and you are my people but what did we do to become your people well basically nothing remember back when I told you to trust me So before we get to the rules, I want it to be clear. I am your God, and you are my people. And you did nothing to deserve what you received. I did everything to rescue you. The only requirement is that you trust me. God's only requirement for the relationship was trust. God's only requirement for the relationship was trust. That's it. The Israelites didn't do anything to deserve it. Then God begins to move into the rules. And here we might expect God to say, you're in, and I'm about to give you the rules, but don't mess up because I'm done with you if if you don't keep the rules. But that's not not what this is about. We're going to read the first one here in Exodus 20, verse 3. You must not have any other God but me. You see, he dove right into the rules, and he said, there's no condition for the relationship. It's simple. I'm your God, just don't have any other gods before me. He doesn't threaten them. He doesn't warn them. He doesn't, it doesn't say, if you don't keep all of the commandments, you're out. He doesn't say that because the rules were never a condition of the relationship. The rules were never a condition of the relationship. And over the next nine commandments, God goes over the rules and boundaries that are designed to protect people in their relationship together. That's it that's why it's there. You know, in your relationship with others in your home, think about it. We talk about not lying in our home. Why do we say that? Because we want to know that we can trust each other. It affects the relationship if we lie to one another. God says, don't bear false witness. We talk about stealing or borrowing without asking in our home. Why? Because it hurts our relationship when I feel that I can't trust you. We talk about jealousy and not complaining over what others have and desiring what they have because it throws a, us into a break of that relationship. This is why God talks to the Israelites about not coveting your neighbor's wife. All for the protection of the people in the family and their relationship with each other and their relationship with God. The rules were designed to protect people in the relationship the rules were designed to protect the people in the relationship so what if just what if god had a specific plan for rules a plan designed as a message to his people that it would seem that god is saying the rules are there for people who are in the family no one else you trust me and you're in then the the rules are there because you are in it's true, then it would seem that we could trace it out in history. With the nation of Israel, we see time and time again where they're disobedient to God. Over and over again, and God acts like a parent and puts them in time out, but draws them back in to the relationship with him. He says, I will never leave you, and I will never forsake you. Why? Because they were his people, and he was their God and the relationship was never based on performance. Now, what about you and me? What's that have to do with us? We're not Israel. Do the rules work the same way for us? Did the promises of Israel in some way or in some sense come over to us? Well, let's look at a promise to Abraham in Genesis 18:18. 18, 18. For Abraham will certainly become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth will be blessed through him. The promise was to bless all nations. It's bigger than Abraham. It's bigger than Israel. And later, a thousand years later, after Abraham, one of God's prophets, who just seemed to be mad all the time because nobody listened to him, told people to turn back to God, Isaiah, in, in the middle of calling the nation of Israel Israel to return to God, he reveals one of God's promises that all the nations will be welcome like Israel. Isaiah 49:6. He says, You will do more than restore the people of Israel to me. I will make you a light to the Gentiles and you will bring my salvation to the ends of the earth. And then, 800 years after Isaiah, Jesus showed up and John wrote about him and said this in John 1:12. But to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. So here we are. Is it birth? Is it behavior? No, it's belief. It's about trusting God. All along, God has been saying, trust me. Now, before we started today, maybe there was some, one of those, club, the club model or family model, maybe you would identify with religion and faith. It could, maybe it's a combination of the two. Maybe, it's, maybe you were thinking, um, oh, the rule, if I don't keep the rules, then I'm out. I'm done. Or you get so miserable that you kick your own self out. Whatever it was, the giving of the Ten Commandments makes it clear God's thinking. The Ten Commandments were a confirmation, not a condition of their relationship with God. So maybe you're sitting there today or you're listening online and you're trying to clean up your life enough to get into the kingdom of God or to try to be good enough to come to church. You're trying to follow all the rules, whether they be God's or your own or your parents' or someone else's. And maybe you're riddled with anxiety. That is not God's intention for you to live that way. If you have placed your faith in Jesus as your forgiver and leader, then this passage that I'm about to read is referring to you. Colossians chapter 2, beginning in verse 6. And now, just as you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, you must continue to follow him. Let your roots grow down into him, and let your lives be built on him. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth you were taught, and you will overflow with thankfulness. Don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense from human thinking and spiritual powers of the world, rather than from Christ. For in Christ lives all the fullness of God in human body. So you also are complete through your union with Christ, who is the head over every ruler and authority. When you came to Christ, you were circumcised, but not by a physical procedure. Christ performed a spiritual circumcision, the cutting away of your sinful nature. For you were buried with Christ when you were baptized and with him you were raised to new life because you trusted the mighty power of God who raised Christ from the dead. And you know, as I think about that passage, Jesus did a work. All we needed to do is trust. We needed to trust in the finished work that he did and then continue to follow after him. And that's what what that's talking about here. Christ did the work. And I wanted to qualify the word baptism here cuz it says for we're buried with Christ when you were baptized with him. So there's two two ways that we could talk about baptism. One is spiritual baptism and the other is water baptism. All right? Spiritual baptism is the point in your life where you give your life to Jesus, where you recognize that you're a sinner in need of a savior. And you ask him to forgive you of your sins. That's a moment in life when that happens. And in that moment, you're placed into the family of God. And this morning was wonderful because we got to witness the representation on the outside of what has already happened on the inside. With all those that were baptized this morning, they were, they were telling all of, all of you in here that I belong to Jesus. Jesus has changed my life, and I want you all to know it. So when it's talking about baptism here, it's talking about that life change that occurred when someone embraces Jesus. And because we trusted the mighty power of God who raised Christ from the dead. And then this passage continues, and I love this, continuing in verse 13. You were were dead because of your sins and because your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ for he forgave all your sins. He canceled the record of charges against us And took it away by nailing it to the cross. I absolutely love that verse. And every time I'm just, I get chills when I think of that verse because I think, man, Jesus paid it all. He paid that penalty, that debt that was against us. He paid it all if we've trusted Him. It's all been nailed to the cross. God rescued us from sin. We no longer need to be bogged down by feeling of unnecessary guilt when Jesus paid for it all. I do want to say, if you've not placed your faith in Jesus as your forgiver and leader this morning, that this passage that I just read could be talking about you. That guilt and that burden that you carry could be lifted because of the freedom that's found in Jesus Christ. And if there's something that, if you struggle in a very significant way with the burden of, of guilt and, and feeling that freedom that comes with Jesus, um, I have a book that uh, you're welcome to, to, to look for online and purchase. It's a tremendous book called Free Indeed, and it's about finding your freedom in Christ and breaking that bondage of guilt. So that's a book I would recommend if you're struggling with that. And if you're in your small group this week, I really encourage you, we dive into some more questions related to this and it's, it's with, with some more scriptures and uh, so I encourage you when you attend small group this week to talk about that and, and as an application this morning, I just want to say when you are confused about the rules, ask yourself, am I a part of the family? Has there been a moment in your life where you have trusted Jesus as your forgiver and leader? Do you know that for sure? Ask yourself that question this week. When you're reminded of your past sin, remember that it has been paid for. When you're reminded of your past sin, remember that it has been paid for. And when you're struggling with rules, consider how your actions Will affect the relationship whether that be the relationship with god or the relationship with that other person see god only gives rules to people who already are in a relationship with him anything he requires of us is evidence of his love for us let's pray dear heavenly father i thank you that you do love us so much and uh, you offer us this free gift of salvation Uh, and I just, I thank you that everything in your word we can look and we can find and areas where we can grow in our walk with you, and I just pray that you would do that work in our hearts and draw us close to you. I pray for any that don't know you here this morning, God, that uh, today would be the day that they trust you for salvation. We love you and we praise you. We can never thank you enough. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.